1: Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today, he's reminding me it might be round three, we're not sure, is Ben Meckler. Hi, Ben.
0: Hello. Hi. Coming How
1: you going? coming through Zoom and sounding pretty good.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty confident it's round three because I remember doing this podcast in two different locations in the past. So I think this would have to be the third time.
1: Oh, maybe that was it. Well, that- I,
0: I remember doing the show at that like second floor office you had that was like in the valley. Well, that's when you—that's you like, when you were think.
1: my assistant. Are you yes, sure you're not yeah. just remembering the indentured servitude and all that stuff? No,
0: you—you—you you, you had me on that while I was your assistant because I was doing uh, my sketches, and ah. so we did a, we did an episode about. Uh, sketches.
1: That's right. You were just you were always an overachiever. Let me remind everybody who Ben oh, Meckler is, is because <laughs> even though he's been on now his third time, it has been over 10 years, because that's when I was lucky enough for, to first meet Ben. Now he's a big shot. He is a TV writer with credits <laughs> on late-night Adult Swim specials, such as Cartoon Network's Clarence, TBS's Final Space, and recently Netflix's Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. He, with his writing partner, Chris Amick, Ben is currently working on a new series for Netflix and a pilot for Comedy Central. Ben is also a director, primarily in the comedy sketch and music video world. And now I remember why I had you on that first time, because Mm -hmm. you were this punk kid, right? You, ju- you just <laughs> graduated college. We've dug up that letter that you sent me even before you came out, yeah. right? 10 years <laughs> ago. And, you know, you're you're in the middle of assisting for me in a class. And you're like, you know what, I'm going to go out and like do this fun little web series. And it was at a time that like not everybody and their, and their mom was doing it. And it was really, really funny. And I was like, <laughs> you are talented. And we just, just put you on the show. And... I'm yeah. very proud of myself for 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 <laughs> seeing that talent because you yeah. know what you're doing, um, and <laughs> well, meanwhile, so much has happened. So much has happened. Ten years have gone by, and and not only do you have this career, but you have a little baby on the way, right?
0: I do. Yeah, September. Thank it's you. been a it's been a hell of a 2020 for all of us. I know. definitely for me.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Oh my gosh! So so September. So I'm trying yeah. to think of the timing here. Like
0: exactly halfway through. Oh, yeah.
1: boy. Oh, boy. You yeah. know what? The thing about little babies is you have to kind of keep them away from people anyway when they're just born. And now you yeah. have a, an excuse. Like now yeah. grandparents be- can't fight grandparents with you on, on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now they're already like, yeah, we're all going to come visit like as soon as the baby's born. And I'm like, you're going to get off a plane and then come see my infant in the midst of a pandemic no you're that's not gonna happen yeah actually.
1: <laughs> i don't think so i'm sorry yeah. and you can really put your foot down and you can just have some alone time with a baby which is nice when it's just you guys it'll be great and the, is, i don't know if it's a he or she but uh the baby will be it's a she. virgo oh a virgo yeah. baby
0: she will be a Virgo, which must mean something. I don't know. I don't keep up with astrology.
1: You're talking to one right now and um
0: Ooh, okay. they are
1: uh, perfectionists and easy to get along with as long as you do everything exactly the way that they tell you to. So life's good.
0: Okay. No Sounds problem. Sounds like she'll take after her dad. <laughs> there <laughs> so. you go. Cool, cool, cool. cool.
1: <laughs> so uh, enough, enough for the, you know, I, I know people want to f- find out all about you and all of the cool things that you've been writing and all the things I you've been doing. I think they want to hear
0: about my baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear about your baby. Sure. And, but everybody who listens to the show knows I could just talk about babies over and over and over again. So I promise <laughs> it's for them. We're moving on. So sure. when it comes to what you're writing right now, I'm really, really super interested in the new stuff, but we can't talk about the new stuff without talking yeah, about... the
0: NDA'd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no. Um, well, I want to I hear about uh, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts because that only yeah. came out recently. Um, it's gotten a lot of buzz. People really like it. It's it's extremely entertaining. Um, what are you doing on it, and how'd you get into it?
0: So, uh, I mean, Kipo was... The last show that I wrote on, but before the one I'm currently on that I'm not allowed to talk about, but because of the way animation works, uh we finished writing that show a year and like two months ago. <laughs> and it just premiered this past January in the first season. Um and the second season's coming out in a little under a month. So we wrote a bunch at once, which again happens a lot with animation writing. You usually wind up writing like big season orders because it's uh so costly for the studio to get the machine up and running of like designing and animating it's it's usually more cost effective to order multiple seasons up front um so we did write multiple seasons second one is coming out shortly but uh the way that wound up happening was um that was actually, I mean, a pretty typical, I guess I'd say, like, staffing <laughs> experience. So my writing partner, Chris A. Mac, and I went for uh, a general meeting at DreamWorks that our agent, our manager, set up uh, with this executive, uh, Ian Shepard. And it was like a great meeting, and we wound up talking about, like, oh, what? We, I, basically, our agent, just for anyone who's listening who's curious how these things work, our agent, our manager, sent our uh, writing sample, a pilot we wrote, to this exec he read it he liked it we went in for a meeting to talk about like what was he covering at dreamWorks that we might be able to uh, work on and so we um, talked about this like property that dreamWorks owned that it couldn't talk about any greater detail but um we like developed a take so like we developed a pitch for this IP that they owned came in and pitched it and ultimately it didn't work out but uh, Ian was also covering this show called Kipo that was in development there. And he was like, oh, you guys would be a really great fit to staff on it. So he set us up with a staffing meeting with the showrunners and uh, Bill Wolkoff and Red and Seacrest, the creator. And um, that was a great meeting. And then, like, another month or two passed. And then finally we got the call that was like, hey, um, they want to hire you. Do you guys want to do the show? It's kind of interesting timing because we – the show we'd written on before Kipo was this TBS show, Final Space. We were waiting to hear whether or not it would get renewed. And so we hadn't worked in, like, six months. We didn't wind up getting staffed on another show. The first season of Final Space just kind of ended after the general staffing season had ended. So there just weren't that many jobs. And uh, we were coming off of our first experience as, like, staff writers on a show. So we weren't super hireable. And so... Um, coming off of six months of not working, looking to say yes to pretty much anything at that point. And we already really, really wanted to work on Kipo, but we got an offer for Keepo at the same time. We got an offer for the second season of final space at the same time that we got a staffing meeting on, uh, what would have been like a dream show. I guess I could probably say it was the tick, which oh, like, cool. um, I grew up with the animated series, the tick. So like, even if, uh, it was just staffing meeting it was like oh this is actually a really hard decision because it would be a dream to work on that show like a, a literally a childhood dream so we kind of had this like interesting experience where we had to decide like what do we want to do um and uh after having seen the like animatic they'd made for the first episode of Kipo and having read the pilot and knowing that we would be writing multiple seasons and it was a bigger commitment. And it was farther into kids TV when at that time we were definitely more like, don't want to get boxed into kids shows. Like we do, we want to write adult stuff too. Like, do we want to commit this much time to doing a kid show at the end of the day, everything we saw was so fresh and exciting and cool that we were just like, we would be really stupid to not be a part of this. And like our hearts are already in this show and we're not even working on it. We just watched like a 20 minute animatic which for anyone who doesn't know how animation works is like, you know, you maybe have two or three frames for every like two minutes of animation that you're looking at. So it's like stilted images that are kind of flashing by with scratch audio recorded by the crew of the show. Like it's not, it's not like you're watching a real piece of animation. It's like to, to be able to become emotionally invested in an animatic, it has to be extremely good material. And it was so, Um, we wound up saying yes to Keepo, and, uh, I couldn't be happier. I'm so proud of how that show came out. And the, um, the writer's room on that show is such a dream. Like the, you never really know what you're going to get when you get hired on a TV show. It's like, um, you know, you're, sometimes you're the person who staffs the show. So you've decided who everybody is and you're hoping that they'll have chemistry. When you get staffed on a show, you're just like, I don't know who the other four or five people in this room are going to be or 10 or 12. And uh, hopefully I like all of them because I'm going to have to spend more time with them than I will with my partner for the next, like, few months, maybe multiple years. Wow. And um, it worked out. I mean, we all became best friends, like, pretty quickly. We still just, like, it's a total love fest in the, like, text group to this day. It has been over a year since we wrapped. And um, we've been doing, like, uh, live tweeting watch parties for the show two episodes at a time every weekend for the past few weeks. And uh, we just did it this morning. Um and it's just so nice to, like, jump back into the show and, like, compliment each other on, like, oh, I know who wrote this joke. It was Taylor Orsi, or, like, oh, that's totally, like, a Christine Song bit, or, oh, man, it's such a great moment. Good job, Bill Wolkoff. Like, it's just nice to um have had such a positive experience. I mean, it was just an amazing time, and I'm so proud of the work. I'm really excited for people to see the second season because I feel like we just got deeper and weirder, and we got to do a lot of stuff that I um was sure we were going to get an immediate no on. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a pretty daring show for a kid's show. and Yeah.
1: Can you talk about the stuff you thought that you were going to get a no on?
0: Well, one one thing that I a lot of people have commented on the first season um, is one of these things where I was like, it's not a big deal to me or anyone else in the room, but it's one of those things where I expect it to be a big deal when it goes to executives, and it wasn't. So there's um, a character halfway through the show who comes out of the closet um, by just saying, oh, I'm gay. Because somebody is like, I'm I'm interested in you. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm gay, so it's not going to work out. But it's just a very matter-of-fact moment when a kid tells another kid, like, that they're gay. And uh, I didn't realize until the show came out. <laughs> we were the first kid show, uh, or animated kid show, I guess, to have a character just say the words, I'm gay. Um, but when we started on the show, that character, Benson, was already like, they'd already decided, like, oh, he's gay. Um And at some point in the show, it'll come up. And I was curious how, because I'd seen enough uh, shows for kids and movies for kids where it's coded, but it's not direct. Like, I, you know, there have been a few news stories even just over the past few years. Like, I remember when the Beauty and the Beast remake came out, they were like, oh, there's going to be an explicitly gay character in the movie. And it was more like there's just a moment where two men kind of look at each other with flirty eyes and that was it <laughs> and then there's there's a, there's a big deal made of the fact that like in um the Star Wars movie there's going to be an explicitly gay character and it's uh, a brief shot of two women kissing kind of in the background of a shot right right so, so um, it seemed so obvious that like in life that moment in this show would be someone just saying I'm gay because that's how that moment would be and um, it is a normal thing that should just feel like a, a blase like Matter of fact moment Um, But I definitely just had the expectation That we would pitch it that way And the the network would say like no You can't use the word gay Because these territories might have a problem with it So instead can you just say like I don't like girls that we just don't explicitly say it I I think I had just Those are the expectations that were set for me By so much other kid TV But when we sat down To talk about like as a room Like what that scene should feel like And we wanted that moment to play that way. Instead, what I found out was that um, when the creators had first said, before any of the writers were hired, to DreamWorks, like, oh, we want to have this character be gay, and we want to have there be, like, a coming out scene or just a moment where it comes up in the show, um, one of, like, the top executives at DreamWorks said, that's fine as long as he says I'm gay.
1: Oh, how (laughs) that's cool. Wow.
0: Asked to do, yeah. Um, And I... I mean, that was just one of many moments when I was working on the show where I was like really proud, not just of the creative team, but the, uh, I mean, (laughs) I feel like it's such a weird thing because you don't hear that. I I, I was really proud of the executives that were covering the show, what they facilitated and made sure we were able to do and what they allowed us to do and kind of boundaries they let us push. It's weird to refer to a character saying I'm gay as like pushing any kind of a boundary, um, especially right now. But apparently it was a first. But um, no, the the, nor- the was...
1: normalization is what's so refreshing, yeah. right? Is that you know mm-hmm. before it was like okay, there's an issue here, we have to make a thing of it, and you know, you know, but now it's like this, the 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 new way to go. That you're talking about is let's normalize it and that that's so fresh, you know, and Mm -hmm. that normalization is exactly like how my kids talk about it. Like my 15 year old, you know, I'll be like, well, he's cute. She'll just be like, no, he's gay. And then, you know, move on, you know, (laughs) and it's like there's never been a thing. That's how children are with each other now. It's just, you know, they'll just say that you know, when, when, and if the issue ever comes up, that's really cool. Um, One thing also with this show that seemed, I think, different from some of these shows you've been on is the serialized nature of the stories Um, that this, you know, every, and it is a half hour. These are half hour episodes, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're serialized half hour, heavily, heavily serialized half hour episodes. Um, Final Space was serialized, but this was definitely much more, serialized out to the final space final space there was kind of room to have an episodic story that we would tell um but kipo really was i i I now hear the phrase a lot more often but it was definitely in the model of the five-hour movie that's how the season feels it's like you're building a five-hour movie each episode obviously is going to have an act one act two act three but the season as a whole also kind of has an act one act two act three the season has a midpoint. The season has like an exciting incident. Um, and then certainly you look at the last few episodes of the season as kind of the, the climax of the show. Um, with Kipo, maybe it's the last like two episodes. Um, I want to say the second season, it might be the last two or three and, and shows that I'm working on now. We're definitely looking at like, what's the last third of the season look like? Um, how are we pressing things or pushing things forward into like the climax? But um yeah, it was, it was cool. There, definitely a lot of kid TV in the past hasn't been as serialized as it is today. Now I think the kind of given is to do serialized shows. Like the show I'm working on now is a piece of IP that has had shows adapting that IP before, and they've all been episodic. Our take on it is serialized, and we were hired on to make it a serialized show. So like I think that's definitely becoming more the norm.
1: Well, I think also and maybe the nature of Netflix, you know, when everybody's binging it, you have to feel like, "Oh god, I have to watch the next one. I have to watch the next one." And if it's a a new chapter in the same story, that forces you to do it more than just sort of contained episodes that you could come in and out whenever you want. So I just yeah. just curious though as far as uh the breaking of the story for Kipo, did that mean did you guys break the entire, you know, like you said, beginning, midpoint, low point, third act kind of thing prior to going into the into the writer's room? Or was it, well, we kind of know emotionally where we want to get the characters, and now let's see what happens.
0: It was pretty, well, I guess it was one, and then it was the other, which i'm I've now since come to realize like is how it usually works. so there was there was a pretty specific, uh structure of like this is generally the first season and what will probably happen in each of the episodes of the first season and then this is pretty much what will happen both plot wise and like where the characters are going to get to in seasons 2 and 3 but then as you get through the episodes you always find yourself pulling things up because it just starts to feel like i think we just need to get to this beat now i think we're just holding it off for no reason if we don't bring it up now One example with Kipo is there's a character who like doesn't want to talk about her past. Uh, Wolf is her name. And and she like doesn't want to talk about her past. Clearly something traumatic happened. And um, the initial plan for the show was that not until towards the end of the entire series, were we going to find out what happened. So like when we went in, that was not a component of the first season Uh, Her backstory was not going to be addressed until much later, and that was going to be her character throughout the first season, like, the person who won't talk about whatever happened in her past. And um, as we were getting towards the end of the first season and were looking for places to bring out, like, conflict for her, to say, like, why might she have trouble, like, accepting this new friend group as a family? Why, at this point, like, this many episodes in, after going through everything they've gone through, would she still not be able to, like... Handle feeling like she'd been lied to, like even in a minute way. We need to know what that trauma is, or we're not going to be able to understand her. So, we kind of, as a group, like together, came to the point of saying, like, we got to pull that up. So, plans are just going to have to change for like later seasons. So, we pulled that up, and it really became the entire spine of like the ninth episode of the first season um, was like getting into that character story because it was just the right time to get there. But that wasn't really something we could see until we started breaking down episode by episode. So in a kind of roundabout way of answering your question. Yeah, we did have like a, a plan for our seasons when we started. Um, that was like pretty structured and pretty concrete. And then that plan um, changed as we sort of went through the episodes. Like once we were down in that level of like, all right, now what has to happen like in this half hour of the show? Because Certain plot elements just needed to happen sooner, just to keep things keep the energy and keep things pressing.
1: You're, I love I love what changed it though, which is the motivation. Like, why is she doing this, and and how would that why come out? And eventually, telling a secret. If it is a mini movie, if it is a five hour movie, then not not a mini movie. If it's a five hour movie, then, yeah. yeah, you're you've made a promise somewhere in that movie that there is a secret here that will be revealed and if you don't reveal it until the second season it does leave the audience going uh eh, you know what, why was she so emo right like we we needed yeah. we needed an answer so that's really cool that you guys like got that in earlier i think it just makes a lot of sense
0: yeah. yeah. And I, and I do think it's, it's happened on other stuff I've worked on since then too. It's it, in my perspective, if you're going into a story where, you know, if you're going into an animated project where, you know, you're going to have more than one season that you're going to have to write up front, which I think is pretty common these days. Um, and so, you know, you're going to have to block out like that story. It kind of makes sense. Like, you know, plan that story out, know where you're going and know kind of where you're going to hit those landmarks. And then once you actually get into the episodes, like, be prepared to use anything you've thought of anytime it feels right. And then it'll kind of write itself as you go along. But um, we would always sort of re-break the season once we got, because like we had the idea for like, okay, so what are the seasons that we're going to do? Um, What's going to happen in those seasons? Then we, you know, finish the first season, get ready to start the second and say, let's look at the second season again. Now let's look at it in a slightly more granular detail. Like we knew we were going to hit these story beats, we knew this would be kind of the first act of the season. This would be kind of the second and kind of the third, but let's look at what would happen in each of those episodes. And actually on the second season, we did come up with like a pretty specific plan for like every episode and then pitched it to the network. And they were like, that doesn't really work for us. Like, um, can you rethink pretty much like most of it for all of it? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we did, and, and it actually like helped and, and it was all our like positive changes and, so there's was like a totally alternate version of like <laughs> the second season of Kipo that existed at one point. Um, but, uh, that kind of happens too. I think the, the anchor for us was always, we were talking about like, what are, what are the choices these characters need to make, um, so that they can grow and then wh- how can we keep those choices motivated? So even when we had to rethink like the entire second season, um, those beats didn't really change. It was more what, it was more uh, plot. Like you really couldn't change who the characters were by the time you're into the second season of a story. So um, it, 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 to, to a certain extent, they are the engine that kind of tells you what needs to happen next and like where things need to go.
1: That makes sense. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, I want to go to a couple shows beforehand i want to go to clarence for a second because this structurally is completely different okay and it goes with the uh short form animation right this 15 minute episodes which is the norm or has been the norm for a lot of sort of adult swim Mm -hmm. kind of cartoons and also a lot of like favorite kids cartoons like Mm -hmm. i say cartoons i think i'm kind of old school when I say that, but <laughs> animated shows, sorry.
0: It's not a um, dirty word. It's <laughs> fine. Eh? <laughs> they are cartoon. Yeah.
1: So I, I, uh, I want to know something that I'm never really sure of when, I, when people ask me in class, um, the structure of short form animated shows. If it's mm-hmm. only 12 minutes, right, 12 to 15 minutes, how... Do you usually structure that? Is it a three-act kind of thing? Is there a pattern there? Something for people to think about.
0: So, <laughs> full disclosure with Clarence, uh, I didn't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Basically, what had happened was like I had, I had um, done some late-night Adult Swim specials, and um, I'd gotten a general with. Nickelodeon and in general with cartoon network, they were like in the same week and I got really excited about it. And I was like, I got to watch all of the new cartoons that are airing. I'm not caught up at all, um, on what like the new cartoons are, but, uh, it would be awesome to write a show for one of these networks. And I feel like I have a chance, so I'm going to watch all of them. And immediately I gravitated towards Clarence, which was a kid show running on cartoon network, like, uh, four or five years ago, maybe at this point, three or four years ago. But, um, I, uh, I immediately like, fell for the show, and I was like, "Man, I would really love to do this show." And, and I went to those general meetings, and like most general meetings, they didn't go anywhere; nothing came of it. Yeah. Um, but and I don't necessarily uh, endorse doing this. At least really, so I wouldn't say like I, I wouldn't want you to think that this is how this always happens. But I DM'd one of the uh, showrunners at the time on Twitter, and was like, "Hey, I love Clarence. I would love to write an episode of Clarence. Uh, do you want to get coffee and talk about it?" And he was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, well, so I, we saw,
1: I saw the the creators. Uh, I don't know, just on, randomly, and it's like, yeah, they just seem like a you know bunch of young guys that were like, we have this great character, you know. They seem yeah. really mellow. It made made a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, specifically this guy Spencer Rothbell, who had who had been like I think um, maybe a staff writer in like the first season of that show, and had kind of risen up to a more of a story editor position, which in animation is kind of a uh, showrunner in the room type position is usually what that title infers. So um, yeah, Spencer and I went and got coffee and he read our sample and uh, he just, you know, let me write two episodes of the show, but I didn't really know anything about writing like 15 minute episodic cartoons. I had just watched a bunch of episodes. So honestly, I just sat down and wrote <laughs> like a five page. The other thing that made it different from like what, what like Keepo is or Final Space is that um, it wasn't just a 15 minute episodic show. It was a board based show. And when you work, there's there's script based shows and board based shows. And on a board based show, you don't write a script. You write an outline, usually like five pages long, uh, single spaced outline with like snippets of dialogue here and there. And then the storyboard artists are the ones who actually write the dialogue or most of the dialogue as their boarding it and and a lot of the visual gags and stuff and that's how animation like writing had worked for a really long time and now things are usually more script-based um but i was writing a five-page outline for an episodic 15-minute show and i didn't really know how that structure generally worked so i kind of just went with my gut and wrote both of the episodes that way that i did for clarence i think there is a three-act structure in there generally but um I mostly just sat down and was like, "What feels good for this?" and and that's all I I did for it. So and and I haven't done a board based show, or a fifteen minute show, or an episodic show since then. <laughs> so I have not taken the time to learn how it's meant to be done either. It just just, um, it just in
1: observing it, it seemed to me. With, with these kind of shows, it's, okay, you know who the characters are really quickly, right? Even in the pilot, you know who mm-hmm. the characters yeah. are, right? And we, like, they immediately, like, set up a goal or a problem, right? Immediately, okay? I want this, or, oh, gee, I wish that, right? It's, it's a goal-based mm-hmm. problem. And then we go into fun and games as they try and pursue, pursue that, and it usually goes really badly, right? Really quickly, and yep. then then it turns there's a turn at the end, like there's some kind of sort of serendipity moment where they may not get the goal that they wanted, but they get something else or mm-hmm. um, uh, they get, you know, there's a twist as to um, this stupid thing they did is actually the thing that helped them get the goal. Right. So it's like set yeah. up fun and games twist, you know, and, and that seems to be it. That's,
0: that's what I've noticed. I mean, I don't yeah. know if that's <laughs> how it goes. It, I mean, it more or less felt that way. I, th- I guess, I guess, yeah, it is kind of just like breaking down any story, I guess, into its like basis elements and just finding a way to play that story out in a digestible way quickly. And, um, f- mostly physically, obviously you're not going to do like a dialogue heavy episodic 50 minute long kid cartoon. Um, but yeah, I mean that that is that is the gist. <laughs> you know, I
1: did notice a familiarity with all these characters, including Kipo. Like, there is this like the optimistic mischief maker. Like, they're the mm-hmm. leads in all three of these shows that we're talking about: um, Clarence and Final Space and Kipo. Like this, this he's definitely like they definitely have like a bad bad boy, bad girl side to them, but they're so optimistic and charming about it. Um, and it makes them the hero. So do you feel like you are an optimistic mischief maker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, no, that that was an right. easy feed to you. Yes,
0: I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, I think probably to a certain extent with shows like this, you're always going to wind up writing to yourself because the goal with any kid show when it comes to like the main characters you want to write something aspirational whether that's somebody who's you know fully formed someone an audience can aspire to be or somebody who learns lessons and grows in a good way so you aspire to grow the same way that they do um i also as a kid who got in trouble a lot when i was uh very young i think i probably became a a, I got in trouble less the older I got, um, which, you know, I don't know if that's common or if it's not, but it's called uh, growing up. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. probably. (laughs) But, uh, the, uh, I, I think for me, like I always like to, if it's, especially if it's younger kids or if I know I'll be reaching a younger audience, I like to write kids that are not just good kids. Um, that, you know, sometimes do make mischief or make bad choices or do things that, they know are like a little bit wrong, but they can kind of justify it enough to themselves only to later realize like, okay, that, there was a better way to have handled that. Um, or at least to measure how worth it something was. But I feel like those lessons are more valuable and those qualities are more aspirational to me than like just having the character who's like the perfect princess who always does everything right. Or, um, the action hero who always gets it right on like the first try. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons that uh, everybody likes the Mission Impossible movie so much is that guy Ethan just continually fails. It's the most fun thing to watch because you're like, yeah, that's what I would do if I was that tough and strong.
1: No, I want to ask you about your new stuff, but you have made it clear, but I can't talk about the new stuff because the new stuff is that important that it is not I'll, talkable I'll talk about. as much as I can.
0: Okay, I can't say what I'm working on and I probably can't say how much of whatever I'm working on there is for when eventually it is known what I'm doing. Hmm. But I can talk about my day to day.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, how about this? Can you say what genre it is and if it's live action or if it's animated? Yeah.
0: So, so like the uh, new
1: series for Netflix, is that live action or, or animated?
0: That's animated. It's going to be in the vein of Kipo. Um, action, comedy, heavily serialized um, and uh, Chris and I moved up the ladder a little bit so we're kind of running the room right now Sweet. Um, which Congratulations. has been a cool thank you it's been a very cool experience um, I mean like you said earlier I, I also direct so there's a control freak part of my personality that's always like hard to tamp down so that's it's satisfying in that way but also just like um, it's it's cool to, to to learn the best ways to find your team's strengths and rely on them and look at it more as sort of being a you know, you're not in charge, you're you're leading a, a team. And I think that's just two different ways to look at it. So uh yeah, it's been an awesome experience so far. Um I'm having the time of my life. That's great. And then the the other show is, is uh also animated but for adults. So that's the, the one for uh, Comedy Central? Pilot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that one's kind of uh, semi-autobiographical, so it's been very fun. Really, to, uh huh. To to kind of dig into that diff- very different approach to to storytelling in many ways from everything that I've been working on.
1: So, did you sell that the, one on pitch? I mean, you said it's it's mm-hmm. uh, a pilot. yeah, it was our
0: first time. It's our first time selling a pitch. It's right around the holidays when life was kind of normal. Um. Yeah, it was awesome. It was the first place we, we pitched it and Yeah, it was a great experience. <laughs> now
1: I know you can't tell me any more, but I'm trying to think of which part of your autobiography would it be when you were very young uh, or is it yesterday?
0: Uh it'll be it'll be younger. It's definitely uh not yesterday. <laughs>
1: okay. All right.
0: Yeah, yeah cool yeah I mean I, I don't know if there's any way to frame that as interesting to anyone anyway without knowing like what it's about yeah I'm um, really curious it's uh, it's, it's just uh, the the headline for me has just been like it's been very interesting to spend some of my time on like an action adventure comedy fantasy uh, story that's more targeted to kids mm-hmm. and then a very grounded like <laughs> semi-autobiographical adult show um it's been fun playing in two extremely different playgrounds. Uh not necessarily every day, but most days.
1: Yeah, that is that is so yeah. so cool. That is wonderful. Congratulations. I mean Thanks. because also if it's an animated show, I would imagine you own I know this is, this is getting into legal stuff here, but you own the rights well, to that character. So if that character shows up on my coffee mug, do you get any of that? Or is that like a whole other
0: No. Kettle a- animation, yeah, it, it truly is. <laughs> <laughs> animation <laughs> writers, animation writers historically get treated like very, very, very poorly. Um, just as far as like, I mean, the... the for instance, the guys who wrote Aladdin mm-hmm. did not receive any residuals for the remake of Aladdin. Wow. The guys who wrote Lion King did not receive any residuals for the Lion King, uh, including when that like remake came out recently. That was almost beat for beat the same right movie, right? Um, but uh, there's there's a lot of different reasons for that. It's something that like a lot of animation writers are trying to change right now. But one of them is that the idea of being an animation writer is relatively new storyboard artists did most of the writing and animation for a really long time because they were not heavily scripted stories um now shows that are animated are more often than not just as written as any live action show but uh animation writers are not covered by the WGA they're in the animation guild um but they only make up like 7% of the animation guild So they don't have a huge say necessarily in the guild and um, they don't have the same precedence set as live action writers. So that goes, that stretches as far as like what regular rates are to get hired onto a show. Um, Like I said before in animation writing story editor is usually the title given to the person who's like running the room and you're kind of splitting showrunner duties to a certain degree with the executive producer who does a lot of the other um show running duties um and in live action writing the story editor is like the second title that you get (laughs) so like the titles don't totally transpose between them The, the like regular rates that you get paid um don't really match um and then when it gets into like stuff like like we don't you don't like, get residuals if you're writing an animation um, because you're part of the animation guild and part of IOTC so it's more similar to how I guess it works for actors where that money goes into like a pension fund and like uh, I don't know if any of this is interesting to your listeners I imagine yeah. that maybe it is of course it is money goes into like a, a pension fund into like healthcare and stuff like that instead um, Which usually I would say probably is not necessarily a good deal. Uh, most of the time, considering like how much syndication and and uh, merchandising and stuff there is for animated shows, um, and then yeah, you don't really have the same kind of, of of ownership. That kind of that stuff usually winds up coming down to like, what were your representatives able to negotiate for you personally? How far were they able to push it past what would be considered standard? So. Um, and that's not to complain about my deals. My, my deals are relatively standard on anything that I'm working on right now. It's more to say, like, there's certainly, like, an issue with, like, uh, you know, residuals and ownership and um, rates and all and, and everything <laughs> for the business side of animation writing right now. But it is something, like, you know, uh, a lot of animation writers have been coming together um, just in the last, like, couple of years more so than ever to kind of talk about, like, two different fronts. How do we change things on the, um, on the animation guild side to get the animation guild to kind of join the fight to get, um, fairer deals for animation writers. And then also the instead of how do we get more animated shows covered by the WGA, which historically there's been a big precedent of like not doing that. Um, and it's caused like some fights before between, between shows and between, uh, um, Networks and studios. So
1: So I wonder if with the current state of affairs, if animation writers are actually going to be empowered a little bit because, you know, we've got a problem, right? How are people going to get back into production, um, live people in the same room, um, face to face, talking to each other? And then you look at like what they just did with the blacklist, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That they animated an episode, Um, I don't know if it was the finale or something like that, but that was brilliant, right? Like, okay, they couldn't go into production. They animated the episode. Um, So suddenly, oh, you know, what could get you past your production limitations? Animating things. So I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering if maybe that will empower you guys, you know, and you'll have more leverage.
0: That's a good question. I hope so. Um, But I think there's also always that, Uh, vibe of if you won't do it, someone else will. Uh. (laughs) That I think holds back a lot of um, negotiations for creatives in this business. Um, But also, I think the other thing is uh, that question of how many writers are rushing to animation now. Um, But you know, out of live action and out of other, other sides of the business that are, that are not uh, doing quite as well, right this moment. (laughs) But I mean, ultimately like the, the, the truth of the matter is that the writers do have leverage. The animation writers do have leverage because a lot of the things that get made in the next year are going to have to be animated. There will be more animated things produced. There's already been a bigger and bigger appetite for animation, both in kids and adults over the last few years. Um, I think for many, many reasons, partially just like generational differences, um, people not thinking generations of people not thinking that cartoons are exclusively like for young children and, uh, also for just, I think the way that things get digested on the internet now and and tones of comedy and and there are a lot of factors, but, um, I mean, the truth of the matter is I think that the writers do have leverage. It's just a matter of like, who's going to fight for how long and how hard to make things happen. Um, but I think that's also something that's happening in like every side of the business and also every business right now. <laughs> right right. The uh, worker has to uh, rise. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. So we'll leave it on that uh-huh. revolutionary note. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um this if, if LA just suddenly rises, up, they'll be like, "I heard, I heard on the page, Ben told me yeah, to, this is to rise what's gonna up do and, it.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: yes. So you'll have this podcast is going to what's
0: it's going to be what gets the guillotines back out in exactly. the
1: streets? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I was just yeah. thinking though. So with these cool new projects that you can't really talk about, that means you have to come back on the podcast like you can never leave the I'd podcast okay good yeah i will be bothering you again and then also you can I show mean, me baby
0: pictures yay uh i would
1: love to so go to on check out what's going on and for ben for this live tweeting of what's going on with kipo and the age of wonder beasts hopefully that's still happening by the time this this episode comes out how do people follow that and how do they follow you
0: Easiest way is to follow me on Twitter. It's where I spend way too much of my time at Ben Meckler, M-E-K-L-E-R. No C. Great. Common common mistake my whole life. So.
1: And check <laughs> but, uh, out Kipo and yeah. the Age of Wonder Beasts on Netflix, right?
0: Please do. And yeah.
1: anything else that you want them to put their eyeballs on?
0: No, that covers it for now. Stay, okay. stay tuned.
1: Yes, definitely stay <laughs> yeah. tuned good. Congratulations. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Okay. And I just, I really have to thank you, Ben. You are awesome.
0: So are you always a pleasure.
1: Thanks to all of you guys for listening and have a good writing week.